everybody. We have a really interesting guest with us today, John Warner IV. And we're going to be talking to him about his own personal life and experience among families that we call the Committee of 300. This is something that seems like a unicorn far away from our realities, but in fact is very close to his. He, he has been able to have close-up experiences with people, whether it's in the intelligence community, uh, in the military, um, in the private sector and business, through his family connections and the life he's lived, which gives us a very rare opportunity to put some sanity around this subject rather than just kind of labeling everybody uh, conspiratorially one way or the other. I think it's time we end that. And so we want to have an up close and personal conversation with John Warner IV. John, it's so good to see you. Good to be here. It was fun. I saw you about two weeks ago at Gaia. You were in the studio with me and we had a wonderful conversation. All the producers and everybody's like, oh my God. So they were very intrigued with what you brought to the table. And in that conversation, we were talking about disclosure because you were, you've recently been um, featured in Stephen Greer's film, uh, The Cosmic Hopes. So I thought it was a great conversation and we said, let's continue it. So, yeah. All right, let's do it. But first, a word from our sponsor, <laughs> my book is available. All profits go to Wounded Veteran Charities. Okay. I love it. We're, we're good. Thank um, you. We have another book coming out. We'll talk to it at the end. So, John, Nobody reads anymore. Don't worry about it. That's true. You're in an unprofitable profession, a writer of words in books. Nonetheless, uh, I appreciate the effort. So what we want to get to is – Many, many people that are watching this have, have certainly had very strongly held opinions about the, what they're called the elite and the cabal, uh, the very wealthy banking families that seem to control reality from the top down. And the perception is in some people's work that we're a slave species and a slave to these families and their profits. And your family's one of those families. So I thought we should put a face on it and see what's actually going on, what it's like in your world and how you see the kind of the hierarchical uh, tiers that operate in our world because you held your dad's briefcase as you just told me a minute ago and you are a member of the Mellon family as well Catherine Mellon of the famous Mellon and Carnegie Mellon people so I want to start kind of toward the beginning with your mom and dad and you're starting to understand that you weren't exactly like everyone else in the world. <laughs> if you even knew that. I mean, we only know what we know. So if your life is bound with luxury and privilege, I would imagine as a little kid, did you think everyone lived that way? So let's just start out as a little kid what you knew about the strata of society. Well, I was a dumb kid, but I wasn't that dumb. Um, <laughs> You know, I knew we were wealthy and different, but uh, honestly, we, uh, my sisters and I tried to be as normal as possible. You know, uh, we did the fancy thing by going to my grandfather's house and going to Cape Cod in the summers. But really, other than that, we went to, you know, boarding schools and prep schools. But it's like, I, I didn't think much of it. Um, other kids did. Um, I was just like, what? You know, I stopped, you know, believing in religion, and, and I started to realize at my prep school, which is the National Cathedral School for Boys, you know, it's just like, wait a minute, 
you know, <laughs> you know, I don't need this religion stuff. And they came down on me like, you know, fire and brimstone. And so I started to realize then that, well, wait a minute, uh, why isn't everyone else? Why doesn't my friends understand they're using it to control us? And uh, I could never get anyone to really understand that. Maybe one or two people would listen. So, you know, growing up, I knew we were a little different, but my sisters and mother and I, my mother's a hippie, you know, my dad's a conservative Republican, you know, you know, World War II in Korea, you know, he was an officer. So we had a very much a dichotomy in our family. There was this strange mix and I enjoyed it to a degree. I mean, it was very dysfunctional. My dad was gone all the time. My mother was gone too when they divorced, but you know, we were very much, it was the seventies. It was, you know, and we were rebellious kids. And so society had changed, you know, the consciousness had arisen in the sixties and man, that, you know, we took it all to heart. You know, my mom gave me chariots of the gods to read and <laughs> instead of my school books, you know, as I, as I remember you were only about 10 years old when she yeah, was and, 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 you know, <laughs> UFO magazines. And she's like, don't trust the government. Vietnam was wrong. And I was like, yeah, but dad said it was a, a good war. Well, and, tell, you got to tell us what your dad was up to at the time, because your dad had some very powerful positions in the military, like U.S. Secretary of the Navy. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was undersecretary and secretary of the Navy yeah. from 1968 to 72. And of course, uh, you know, he was involved in Operation Deep Freeze in Antarctica. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was a, a speechwriter, an advanced man, a good friend of President Nixon. Uh, so Nixon was a family friend. You know, he came over for dinner and stuff. So I knew that whole world really well, even young. I, I was into the military. My dad took me all these Navy bases and Marine Corps places. I loved it. Um, I dedicate my new book, Lion, Tiger, Bear, to the U.S. Navy and Marines and to my dad. Because really, that was my education. And, uh, you know, I'm really trying to earn that back uh, in my work, uh, so to speak. Uh, you know, people, some people can relax in the south of France with their money. I'd be bored to death. You know, my wife and I are constant workers. But we're just interested in everything in the world. And we consider everything in the UFO ET alternate reality world, you know, the occult, uh, you know, everything. We consider it all to try to get, you know, any good researcher is going to throw a huge net. And so, yeah. you know, that's sort of where I was. And, and that started at an early age for me. I just read everything. I wouldn't do my homework, but I would go in the library and read books on World War II and weird stuff. I mean, just wasn't interested in math. <laughs> Well, I get it. And so yet, okay, so now your mom's a hippie. Her name's Catherine Mellon, mm -hmm. uh, the famed Mellon banking family. Yeah, she's and, a beautiful artist. She's a genius. Yeah, sounds like she yeah. got that artistic. Well, the Mellons' philanthropy seemed to have centered very, very heavily for really generations in the world of art and supporting artists and art and preservation of art. And Let's touch on philanthropy, shall we? Yes, because I want to go somewhere else with that. Else with that too. Uh, Let me say one thing. One thing I read in Wikipedia, 1957, that your family, three or four of the people in your family, 
were considered among the eight richest people in the world. So we're talking about a pretty extreme amount of wealth back in the day. Now let's go into philanthropy. All right. Well, number one, good luck trying to figure out the, the true wealth of any exactly. 300 family. Yeah. You're not going to do it. Um, I guarantee you, whatever people find out, it's, you know, they've got other things hidden away. Um, Does but, that mean they were wealthier than that? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they don't want to appear as trillionaires. You know, some of these Rockefellers and DuPonts, Morgans, you know, even Mellons. You know, I'm just putting it out there. That's my own opinion. From what I know, it's like, you know, there's a public net worth statement and then there's the real one in the back room. So philanthropy. Um, the Mellon family is uh, very philanthropic, especially my granddad, Paul Mellon, donated the National East Wing of the National Gallery of Art. Uh, however, Graham Hancock wrote a book in 1933, I mean, 1993 showing how these foundations and these big corporate things who give money away to third world countries and, you know, to the arts and all that stuff. Yeah. It doesn't really work the way they tell you, you know, very little money gets to the people who need it. And most of the money is absorbed by the deep state and uh, the uh, middleman infrastructure. And so uh, I read that book. And I started asking questions around town and I got very hesitant answers, which of course, when you get no answer from somebody, that means they're hiding something. And so I started to realize that, um, you know, all these things that, that it's a good thing to donate museums and, and have foundations and do that. It's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But Catherine Austin Fitz will tell you, you know, a lot of that money gets shifted into black drains. Yes. It just does. I mean, my grandfather and, and they and Rockefeller and others supported the CIA and the NSA in the, in the early 50s, like 1952-ish, where the public didn't even know the NSA existed. And of course, I personally believe they financed probably some other things, you know, MJ-12, you know, these things that needed to be off the books when Congress was really sniffing around back in the early 50s and had the power back then to, to dig under rocks. They don't, you know, after Kennedy died, forget it. They have nothing. They have no power at all. Uh, my father said it to me point blank. He said all politicians and senators, congressmen are bought and paid for presidents too. It's just the way our country works. And so, you know, philanthropy and all this stuff, yeah, that sounds great. But I wonder, you know, I don't have any charts. I don't have anything from Catherine Austin Fitz that says, you know, what this does. I hope she does something on the Mellon Foundation, the Andrew Mellon Foundation. Yes. You know, I mean, even if a family has a foundation with like, let's say $100 million in it, if they give to certain charities, there's a middleman in there somewhere. So that's what's funneling some of this cash. The, the I, deep state I, I, and the yes. industrial complex has, has black budgets you can't even believe. I think personally, it's 25 trillion a year. Off the books through some of these endeavors you're talking about, because I know Catherine Austin Fitz also talks about which we, won't, we don't even need to get into, uh, governmental and intelligence community and family connections within 
the global drug industry as part of our black ops money that runs the foundation of our economy. She goes into all of it. Yeah. And what you're saying is this just kind of folds in as part of it, right? You know, throughout my lifetime of experience, the kind of people I've met, uh, my time with my grandfather and father, you know, you name it, the Koch brothers, you know, I've met them all. And I don't get a very good feeling. I don't have proof of skullduggery. You know, I don't have documents like Stephen Greer. I, have, I don't have any of that stuff. I have my osmosis. I have my experience firsthand with, you know, all these big families and the people in it. And I got to tell you, you know, these, these families, I mean, 95% of them are just as asleep at the switch as the rest of America. Explain they that. are not all scheming. They, they truly believe they're, they're doing, oh, I gave a million dollars to, you know, the World Wildlife Fund. They truly believe they're doing good work with that. They won't listen to the conspiracy research. I won't even call that's it a theory anymore. There are no theories. It's research. Well, that's now that's one of the questions I was going to answer. So I just wanted to say to the audience, we're going to hop around a little bit because I kind of like to get into some some of the foundational stuff, but I don't want to lose the moment either. And I think this is really important what you say. The whole notion in the conspiracy communities that there is a well orchestrated agenda and a cabal. When we're talking about people that have obviously varying degrees of consciousness and varying degrees of power and different types of agendas. So just just go into that a little bit more. Like you said, 95% are as asleep as the rest of us. They are. I mean, you can't even believe it. Uh, I have no friends or family that are with, you know, have any idea what we're talking about. Uh, and I have no hundreds of these people. Um, I personally, 5%, maybe 10, you know, if you're into banking and, you know, haha, old boy network and all that stuff. Okay. The 10%, but the rest of them are ignorant. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just sad. They, they can't, you know, they're really smart people, but they're dumb. It's the, the concept of the smart, stupid person. And it, I don't say that with arrogance. I say that with sadness. It really makes me sad. I can't talk to any of my friends. I'm blessed with a lot of friends, high school, college, you name it. No one, not a one, understands what you and I are discussing. Nothing about UFOs or ET, nothing. They don't care and they don't want to know. Some of them have told me, I don't want to know. Ignorance is bliss. It's the 10%. But these people are barely, I don't think hardly any of them, the 90% of these 300 families have any idea what the 10% are doing. They just don't. They don't care. They don't give a shit. As long as they get their paychecks and, and trust fund annuities and all this stuff, they don't care. You know, and... Um, you know, I find it very interesting in the way the universe works, Carl Jung's synchronicity, that my dear old camp buddy, Chris Mellon, comes out and he's the, on the forefront of this. And I, I will not stand idly by while he lies blatantly to the American public. I know what they're hiding. I can't prove the dirty laundry of the whole subject. But, you know, history is a, is a good teacher and wars and genocide and drugs and, you know, human trafficking. It, it's happening every day, everywhere else in the world. You know, why not make a buck on it 
and funnel it where we need it for you know defense in the in the unacknowledged special access projects. I think which it, are unethical. Yeah, I think it's good. I'm just going to point something out here. We're talking about your cousin Chris Mellon, okay? And Chris Mellon is one of the people, the two people behind, along with Lou Alessandro and Danny Sheehan. I've also interviewed Danny Sheehan on this on Gaia recently, um, who were behind the Pentagon report that essentially came out as a non-disclosure. There was nothing to it. Even Danny Sheehan said it was a nothing burger, but that there's more underneath it that is yet to be released, like another 400 pages. Okay, that's what Danny said. Now, you're talking about your cousin and the thing that you're objecting to from what I understood at Gaia with you and Danny is that Christopher Mellon is fully aware of what the government knows and has access to in the deepest, blackest parts of it regarding UFOs, ETs, and UFO technology, but is putting a front face on saying, you know, we just don't know. We need to find out what these are. And this really makes you angry. Now, some people say he's just saying he wants the government to release this information to people, but you're saying he's pleading ignorance for another reason? Yeah, they have plausible deniability. You know, the Tic Tacs or the Lockheed Martin uh, newest version of the Black Triangle. It's just a new upgraded model. You know, um, apparently the word on the street is it's the tall whites of Indian Springs out at, you know, Groom Lake, the Charles Hall story. Uh, that's their technology. He describes them in his book going back to the 60s. So they must have bargained, I think, those ETs who were, you know, at the Holiday Inn, they call it. Yeah. It's a U.S. Air Force Base. It's Indian Springs. I think it's a, a Creech mm -hmm. Space. And they've been living there for 40, 50 years. And, uh, you know, it's it's just ridiculous, you know, for Chris to come out. I, he knows a ton of it. I don't know if he knows all of it or believes all of it. You know, uh, there's a lot of stories of, you know, horrible things and uh, black programs that are unconstitutional, uh, you know, genetics programs, super soldier programs, you know, whatever the truth is, I think he knows about a lot of it. Um, you know, he's not stupid. You know, <laughs> I know the guy. You know, I, I begged him. I yeah. begged him. I said, I want to help you do this. He wouldn't touch me with a 10 foot pole. He's like, oh, don't worry. We have it all under control. You and Tom DeLong and the wild stuff are not applicable. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, so insult accepted, Chris, you know, I get it. You know, he wants me to be an idiot. Well, now he knows I'm not an idiot. He knows that I know a hell of a lot more than probably he does. And he doesn't believe it. You know, he, he probably believes it up to a point, but he, he knows what's going on. I mean, this, this is, childish stuff what they're doing him and Elizondo playing tag team you know oh I'm the poor whistleblower and I'm you know gosh the Pentagon needs to do more I mean they are the Pentagon you know it's it's ridiculous okay so now oh gosh we have skipped beyond these foundational things so fast <laughs> so now let's look at you mentioned you used the term deep state a while ago and I think we're at an appropriate place to bring that up because you really can't talk about exotic technologies, sequestering of technologies, black monies and so forth without getting to, into the true definition of deep state and the hierarchy of how that operates. And I would like you just to give us 
your understanding and glimpse into it because this is something you have access, you've had access to. You used to do your homework at the Pentagon. I remember you told me that an admiral, an admiral once told you when you asked about this subject, you can see an ET walking down the halls of the Pentagon any day of the week. So let's get into how these quote elite or cabal structures start factoring into this hierarchy when you start talking about maximum power, maximum technology, maximum potential money. Okay. I can tell you my perspective that I've honed over 30 years. Um, and it's based on a lot of other people's research that makes sense to me, given my experience. And, you know, I mean, I've met Queen Elizabeth three times. I mean, why? I mean, it's, it's crazy. And so, you know, I know she and my grandfather, Paul Mellon, were good friends. <laughs> Are they you dated in the fifties? I don't know. We had some, some tastes before Philip. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But you know, what I've read and what I've, I have in my personal belief system is that it, 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 a lot of it, what people write about makes sense. And what David Icke talks about, the royal family, makes sense. It's weird. It's creepy. It's, it's wholly, totally unbelievable. But given my uh, strange life, um, the power structures seem to emanate downward from the British royal family. Uh, I've had military people, the story I told you about the Farnborough Air Show and other things, you know, we have to deal with these royal people in addition to the British Air Force and the British Army and the Navy because they're in charge. And I, I remember saying, well, isn't the prime minister in charge? The royals are just, you know, window dressing. And he's like, oh, no, you've got a lot to learn. You know, uh, you know, my dad wanted me to be there firsthand to see it because honestly, if he had told me, I'm not sure if I would have believed him. He, he really was quiet about it, but he wanted me, you know, on the scene, carrying his briefcase and listening. He said, son, you got to listen and you got to read between the lines. And so, yeah, that's, you know, is there a, a, a an organization above the Queen of England, probably. Is it ET oriented? I think so. It makes sense because I talked to other. I talked to this bunch of physicists last night over the email, and they were talking about Charles Hall, and and they were talk, talking about you know certain generals and admirals that had told them, "Look, ET's in charge. Get over it." Who said this again? I'm sorry. Who said that again? Well, I'm not going to name names, but uh, these friends of mine who are physicists and, and who know a lot of military people have met some of these generals and admirals. Some four-star general went up to this guy and said, listen, you want to know who's in charge? E.T.'s in charge. Get over it. And that was, you know, 20 years ago or something like that. It, it makes sense. I mean, even military people, nuts and bolts, will tell you, you know, in confidence yeah, if you go to the top of the food chain, it's ET. They didn't say benevolent or regressive, <laughs> but my guess is it's a mixture of both. But the regressives seem to be have overall more influence. And look at the wars and inequality and genocide we have in the world. It's just wars a racket. It's a business. You know, we have the biggest 
military in the world you know, probably 25 times over. Not 10 times over. I, I bet it's 25 or 30 times over than anyone else because we're dealing with stuff out in space. Space mining bill, asteroids, uh, you know, uh, space force, you, you name it. It's all in your face, but no one wants to put the dots together. It's clear to me the power structures. Uh, you can find any graphic on the internet that shows the pyramid. You've got the all-seeing eye, guess who? Then you've got the royals, you know, the, the Queen of England, the British royal family, then all the royals, then the Committee of 300 families, then it goes on and on and on downwards. Corporations, military, you know. So it, you're okay. It makes sense. It does make sense, and it's very interesting to hear it from you. Um, David's a friend of mine, and and we, I've heard his. I've been reading his work and and chatting with him over the course of the last fifteen years or so. And a lot of people look at it because it's so focused on the reptilian factor. And I've got to say something here about that: that um, it's created a huge division in people who would otherwise hear the message versus not hear the message. So that you're, you're saying this from your perspective is interesting. Now, backing up a bit, you just said that 90, 95% of these committee of 300 families are pretty much asleep at the wheel and they're just looking out for their own interests. But then we have the other five or 10%. Where does the deep state live within all of this? Who in your opinion constitutes the deep state? That's a, that's a very loaded question. It's, it's difficult, but you know, it's, I'm, I'm along the lines of other researchers, David Icke and Alex Collier and Carrie Cassidy too. You know, the deep state has been clear. You know, it's, it's that 10% of the 300 families. It's probably a, a selection of powerful royals um, at the top, and then under that you have uh, the various corporations and roundtables, you know, CFR, Trilateral Commission, things like the Jason Society that my grandfather was part of, you know, all these, these secret roundtables, you know, mystery schools are in there. Uh, they change names all the time, some of them, you know, and, and below that you have all the corporations and the, me and the media and the military, and then below that, you have everything else. I mean, the, the deep state is, it was coined by a politician. I, I slips my mind who said that first. I think it was a senator or someone, congressman. But, you know, it's, it's always been there, you know, since World War II. Yes. And I and thought before, really, uh, you know, it was more of a secret societies before the war. But, I mean, the Freemasons, you know. Uh, they haven't done jack squat for the human race, as far as I, I can tell. They may have behind the scenes in a positive way, but they sure as hell haven't been public about it. Oh, hey, you know, guess what? You know, Atlantis, UFOs, ETs, you know, they haven't done anything. And it's all, everything is blackmail, threats, murder, extortion. Uh, it, these, these are kinds of tools, you know, I won't mention names, but there are certain people of note in the disclosure community who have shifted their narratives very carefully. And now they talk about nothing burgers and old, you know, moldy stories. Now that suggests, you know, my wife knows, we both know that that's a paid informant. It's obvious, you know, and it happens. 
Um, but if someone comes to you and says, I'm going to kill you and your whole family or take this million dollars, what are you going to do? You know, I, I understand that. I understand that too. And I think there are some recent presidents uh, who have been subjected to such things and have been throughout history is once you, once you're sworn in, uh, once you're sworn in, um, you've lost all of your power. It seems to me. Oh, I, Absolutely. I mean, I think after Kennedy, every president was carefully groomed. Yes. Carefully groomed. Uh, we have no choice in elections. That's a, that's a lie. I don't vote. I never have really much, a uh, couple times maybe for my dad, but it just, it's ridiculous. People think they have, uh, you know, get out the vote. That was, remember the rock and roll thing in the 80s? That was ridiculous. I remember going to a U2 concert and they were like, rock the vote. I'm like, is everyone asleep at the switch? I would always tell my friends and they don't believe me. They just, they refuse to believe me because what I'm talking about is basically anarchy. I'm messing with their hard floor of reality. When you mess with that, people will get very angry. Yes, and I've lost friends who think you're crazy, you know, go away because I don't, you can't, the stuff you're talking about can't be true. Yes. Now I would like to, you, you just touched on the eighties. Um, I did one of the only, there I think there were only two interviews with Aaron Russo before he passed away. And he had at one point in his life, you know, he was a, he was a highly paid producer in Hollywood, the Rose trading places and such. And he was looking for some truth. And part of it happened as a result of his uh, alliance through dating situation. He was being groomed uh, or accepted into the Rockefeller family. And he was told at dinner one night about the women's liberation movement. And I bring this up because again, it talks about how the hand reaches in. And he was, and uh, I can't remember which of the, I'm terrible with remembering these things, a terrible memory. He was dating one of the Rockefeller's daughter. I don't know who, which one it was now. He would have been in his 20s. So this would have been about, about 40 years ago. He said, you don't think that the women's, uh, the women's movement was organic, do you? And he was just laughing. He said, look, we put our players into place. And do you know how many taxpayers we got on the roll as a result of women's liberation? He said, we did that. And he was bragging that the Rockefellers were able to move the perception of freedom and liberation to get more people in the workforce to pay taxes, to feed those particular banking families and systems, which I thought was interesting. I mean, that was, it really struck Aaron to the point where he decided um, he needed to dig a little further and ended up doing that documentary, America from Freedom to Fascism. And that's when we're talking about the deep state. We can't do that without talking about fascism. Yeah. Well, you know, the women's lib thing was, uh, you know, that's all <laughs> the Rockefellers. You know, that's, that's, that makes perfect sense. And you know, my favorite is LBJ. You know, LBJ, Lyndon Johnson. What a complicated man. Uh, my dad said he was a son of a bitch. He, he's, he said, you just don't want to know the guy. Back when he was, you know, a younger man as Undersecretary of the Navy in 68, he, he, he knew those guys through Nixon. He met them all you know, through Kennedy and everything. LBJ, uh, I used to admire him. <laughs> because of civil rights. He grew up in Texas with African-Americans and he was tired of it. 
be that as it may, it is my personal belief that not only, I mean, LBJ had his hand in the Kennedy assassination with the German aerospace scientists and Alan Dulles and my granddad's good buddy and James Angleton and the Secret Service and the whole bunch of them, Texas oil men, everybody was in, you know, basically in on it. But LBJ strikes me as incredibly pathological. Um, he pushed through civil rights and he got it done. That's a great thing. As you uh, said, he was a complicated man. Right. But it's the same kind of thing as the women's lib thing. There was an agenda behind it. Interesting. Tell us about that. Well, this is my personal. I didn't read this. or anything. This is just John Warner's thinking. Um, I think they did it to give, I mean, everything was unfair. Jim Crow laws, you know, D.C., you know, everything. And uh, my, my African-American friends, I have a lot of them, and, and we all discuss it, and it's like civil rights was a great thing. But what has happened in the last 60 years? Racism has moved underground, yep. as you know, and then they use it to whenever the you know, deep state wants to create a racial uh, uprising and war, they do it. Uh, it's easily done. Cops, you pay a cop 50 grand to shoot somebody, you know, instant race war. It's very easy to do. And so civil rights was this good thing. And then it, it actually, uh, I think it gave people in the deep state more control over uh, perpetuating racial uh, divide and war. Mm -hmm. um, it's just my personal feeling. I don't, I don't have a lot of evidence to back it up, but LBJ was a nasty piece of work. I've read that so, from every quarter. You know, psychopaths can have their one thing. They look animals and like Hitler <laughs> he loved animals and children, but you know, and he did, you know, he built the Audubons and other things, but you know, it's, it's this duality we have. It's very bizarre. People think, Oh no, you're a psychopath. You're all evil. And it's like, you could be 99% evil, but that 1%, you know, you can do good things. Oh, well, I, I love Dutch tulips and I give out free ones. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing we're dealing with, which, which makes things vastly more complicated. As you know, uh, when you start digging these things out, people's minds just turn, they'll burst like a baked potato. You know, it, it's, it's really hard, but you know, that's the way my mind works. You know, it's, it's everything is connected and, and, and it's all, you know, it's so complex and Byzantine there has to be a, a, an artificial intelligence type ET top of the pyramid. Otherwise, it, it's so unbelievably hard to control all these things. It's insane. No one person could do it. Everyone's like, oh, it's the Pope or the Queen of England. I'm like, no, she's an idiot. You know, there has to be a, a very high intelligence at the top. And it ain't no round table of old white men with royal, you know, sashes and everything. You know, these people aren't that smart. They just aren't. I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks.
interestingly, I was looking into that, the old white boys, and, you know, everybody in America knows of the skull and bones. But what I ha I can't believe I hadn't even read it. I mean, I, I must have missed that class. Uh, the notion, your grandpa, uh, part of the skull, the scroll and key society. So <laughs> scroll and key, I'd never heard, I'd never heard of the scroll and key. Is that just the corollary for skull and bones, different university? Uh, no, they're both at Yale. They're both at Yale. So what is the scroll and key? It's just skull and bones number two. It, they're both connected to the Tula Society. I've had multiple people email me on that, and I've dug that out. There's some evidence to it. Uh, and I think in the, in the Skull and Bones, they say they're related to German fraternities. Uh, fraternities, okay. Uh, okay. mystery okay. schools, you know, you know, that's what they are. They're mystery schools. And, you know, there might be slight differences, but not much. I mean... Uh, you know, my grandfather had this reputation of being a very bookish, genteel, kind, soft-smoking man, which he was, but I saw his nasty side. I mean, the, the biggest psychopaths in the world are probably the nicest people you'll ever meet in public. That much from personal, you know, experience, I can tell you. That's frightening because these are the faces we see on cameras. I thought Bill, when I met Bill Clinton, I thought he was the funniest, most charismatic president I had ever seen. Oh, no. And once he was on the Epstein's plane and all that stuff, it's, forget it. You know, people can hide. Uh, I'm sure, you know, people like David Icke and others would go, John Warner's an elite. He's one of them. You know, he's hiding, you know, and it's like, it, it, you know what? I have the intelligence to easily hide a dark side where I torture puppies or something. You know, it's easy to do it if you have the intellect and you can, you can have this public persona. You know, all my friends, they, they know I'm not, I'm, I'm sort of an open book, but you'd have to, you know, take my friend's right. word on but that. You could fake it if you needed to. This brings me to something. Yes, you have the intelligence to do it, yeah. yes. So you're talking about the faces, uh, the charismatic faces. Uh, we see them all the time, the power players on the front of magazines and so forth. Um, this gets into a, the deeper, darkest, most dark side of it. Um, uh, I'm going to be doing some other pieces on this later. Uh, David Icke has spent a lot of his time digging into the whole notion of deep state, uh, these power players that are beyond our reach, and pedophilia. How does, what do you know? What is your, your thought and understanding from being around some of these true sociopaths of society what, where does pedophilia feed into this and at what level? It can't be among the, all of the 95% that are asleep among these families. Where does this exist? Well, amongst these families, I mean, the people that I know, I, I probably know a couple hundred of them um, in passing and all that stuff. They're the most moral, ethical, even religious people you'd ever meet in your life. If they knew the truth, the real truth of this world, they would break out their guns and take to the streets with all the rest of America. They would. But, you know, this 
whole thing with satanic ritual abuse and pedophilia, it goes back to ancient Sumeria, Moloch, you know, give us your firstborn. Uh, a lot of your fans know that history. I'm sure you can dig that out on Gaia somewhere. Um, yes. You know, it, it has a tradition in the occult, you know, and from the information that I've gathered over the decades from all these other researchers and, and people is that it's an integral part in other words, let's say you and I got together and said, all right, let's, let's go conquer another star system. And there's these two really cool planets and we need to enslave them. But under cosmic law, uh, we've got to let, they have to ask for our help. So you invade with, you know, some sort of genetic monster. You send in your troops. You know, Jason Rice said this on Gaia. I, I got that. It's, and then you add religion, money, you know, banking system, an elite, and everything like that. And so this religion, or in the occult, the, the satanic religion, you know, it, it, the darkness needs that infrastructure to control people via blackmail or what have you. And, you know, the people that go to the Bohemian Grove, you know, I'm sure a lot of them aren't bad people. Uh, I know some people that go, sadly breaks my heart. Um, but I, once you throw some drug, somebody and throw them in a room with a bunch of naked kill, children, they're done. They'll do whatever you want because there's no getting out from under that. Yeah. So, so if, if I'm blackmailed in the press, you know, warners, you know where it comes from. It, it's, it's ironclad. And so now you have to do your master's bidding and all this stuff. It's, it's a tool. And it's also, you're giving loosh, which is real energy, uh, you know, prana, you know, you're torturing people and children and you're maximizing that. And this gets, you know, that's where adrenochrome and all this other stuff, you give that to your trusty slaves, they drink it, but, but the interdimensional uh, regressive ETs, they get high off all that stuff. They actually feed on it, you know, like food. And so, it's very creepy, it's very bizarre, it's very weird. But once you study the whole topic, it starts to make sense. Um, it's, it's horrifying sense. I write about it in my new book. I have a chapter in there that will punch every reader in the gut. This I is like no there, the new one coming out. Yeah, my, John, my that guy has to deal with a scene of that. And it, it almost brings him, it does bring him to suicide, almost. Mm -hmm. And so, and I know, you know, I've heard stories, a lot of people dealing with these people, you know, that mysteriously died of suicide, whether from the trauma of it or being exposed to it or being blackmailed by it. Okay. Now, thank you for sharing that. And, and people can certainly read the book. When, when is your book coming out? Lion, Tiger, Bear, when's it coming out? Uh, it'll probably be on Amazon within a month. Hopefully. Okay, so we're looking by September, by fall. Yeah. Everybody can get the book, fall of 2020. Yeah. Okay, good. Because um, I know we talked off camera that you had gone there, and I wanted to just talk about it a bit because I'm having some very interesting confluence of events where a lot of people reach out to me, as you can imagine, because I cover so many different topics and have been for so many years. But I'm seeing something happening right now. And this is, to me, fascinating. 
when you're looking at the mix of hybrid species, you, the humans are a hybrid species. We've been interfered with genetically from the beginning. So we have all kinds of DNA, uh, even though they call 95% of it junk. It, they just either can't, don't recognize it, can't recognize it, or don't want to. So I say that as a prelude to the fact that I'm starting to get emails from people who are really quite uh, articulate and sane saying these things are happening to them where they're suddenly opening up and seeing this whole reptilian world they know nothing about. Uh, great details are being shown to them. And one of the women was articulate enough to say to me, I was shown that I have some remnants of that DNA in myself and thus can open up and act as a bridge to seeing into that world now. I'm, I think many people are. And so saying that, I'm trying to put various ones together. Do you think that we're arriving at a time where that agenda from, let's not say it's not just the reptilians, there may be other species involved as well, of course, but that particular agenda, are we seeing a time where it's supposed to be unveiled and uncovered now through these kinds of revelations that are just popping up uh, unexpectedly throughout the population? Anything's possible. Um, I take Alex Collier's view. I think a lot of people, they ignore Alex Collier because he was thrown off YouTube and I don't know. The message he's gotten from his Andromedan contacts, it's not pretty. Uh, it's, it's, it's horrifying and people ignore it. But I, I take his view. Uh, I'll say that publicly. Uh, you know, he, everyone on earth has some most likely some reptilian DNA because the Anunnaki, as Kerry Cassidy stated, yes. shows they were Pleiadians, an offshoot of Pleiadians that were invaded by the Draco. And so they, that's why they possess this warlike, uh, regressive uh, aura and, and DNA. And we all have that in us, everyone. Maybe not the Aborigines, the Eskimos, I'm, I'm hoping, but. You know, I hear what you're saying. I, I think we all have it in us. However, um, this new theory of homo capensis. What's that mean? Well, it's a term coined by someone I, I don't know, but what it is, is it's the elongated skull people of Peru mixing with the Anunnaki sort of royal elite bloodlines of Europe. And uh, apparently, you know, some of the Rothschilds and others, you know, if it's true, if it is true, uh, it doesn't make some sense in the big picture, but it, it takes some study. Um, but if that's true, then that explains why royals and other elite families rule the planet. Um, supposedly, they, they have a higher IQ quotient in the 180 to 200 range. I'm not sure. But what doesn't make sense to me about that is, um, you know, I know a lot of these rich people and, you know, they can barely figure out how to put their pajamas on. I mean, I, no offense to them. I try to love everyone, you know, unconditionally, but geez, my God, some of these people are just dumb as a mud fence. And so I don't understand. Okay. And so I'm like a homo capensis. Well, <laughs> what it is, I think from a breeding stock, you know, that's what these 300 families and these royal families are. They're, they're a giant herd of cattle. 
and you cherry pick the ones who have the good strands, the, all the strands connected, and they can piece together a few neurons. That's my own thinking on how this works. You know, you can have uh, the finest parents in the world, and they have 10 children, and eight of them will be, you know, have mental disorders or genetic disorders or, or whatever, and you might have one out of 10 that's, you know, a genius level or above or can, you know, have psychic abilities, psionic abilities, uh, which, you know, the deep state prize these people because they can be remote viewers or, you know, when you fly a, a UFO craft, you need a psychic navigator. Right. Which is why the early tests, most likely by the Germans and others, they were like, how do you fly this thing? And, you know, boom because you need a psychic navigator who understands transdimensional physics in their minds and they can do it. Boom. Just so what you're saying is these, these families, mm -hmm. uh, people, various members of these, these families are put together in kind of a, a breeding process, uh, hopefully to be able to get the traits necessary to be able to serve some masters at another level. But it's not just about the IQ. There has to be kind of sociopathic tendencies. or unless, a, unless you're blackmailed. Unless you're blackmailed, and that's a good point. That's what people need to understand. They, yeah. People generalize and they say, oh, you people and your family and everyone, they're all psychopaths. And I'm like, they're not smart enough to be psychopaths. A psychopath has to have a certain amount of intelligence yeah. to do what they do. You know, uh, you know Stalin was... a. a a thug and a psychopath, but he wasn't an idiot. Some people said he was an idiot and all this other stuff, but no, if you dig into history, you realize that he and Hitler and, and Mussolini and all these other Tojo and all these other people, they had some very clever, sinister ideas. And so let's go back to this, this model I have in my head. You've got 10 kids. Okay out of these two parents. Now you have 10 sets of parents, you've got 10, uh, 10 children that are, that are worthy, okay? High IQ, uh, you know, psionic abilities, uh, telekinesis, uh, you name it. And then out of that 10, maybe two are psychopaths that go along with no morals, no ethics or whatever, or maybe half. So you're whittling down these groups of people into very small amounts. Um, and so it's not easy to, you know, these, you have to, you have to comb through these families and they do it by fraternities in colleges I you know, skull and bones at UVA, they had, uh, the imp and seven society. Oh yeah. Nobody knew the members until they were dead. You know, they have to, the little fascists need to, you know, you have cocktail parties with a lot strange alumni and, t and professors, and they're like, well, what do you think of Hitler? And he's, oh, I love him. You know, he was right. You know, kill everyone. And they're like, oh, come with us to another cocktail party. And they whittle down the groups. And that's what I think is going on at, at these mystery school fraternities and secret societies and colleges. Why so secret? You know, at the Seven Society of UVA is nothing, they say they do nothing but good deeds and they're altruistic. Well, tell us about it. What are they? Who are the members? Why so secret? 
and everyone just goes, oh, they must have their reasons. They must have their reasons. And then the conversation is over. And that's what we're dealing with in society. It's sad. It makes me very sad. It is sad. And so you're saying it's a winnowing down process to be able to determine who's capable, um, who is psychopathic or sociopathic, and then the other group are who is capable and who can we manipulate via blackmail toward right. the end. It's, it's just like the military. Mm -hmm. So if you are a round table and you're like, we need new members, we need fresh blood. Well, you call your secret society and scroll and key and skull and bones representatives and say, who is your most promising members? And they'll say out of the whole bunch, you know, here's a few guys, mostly guys, there's probably a few women, but you know, here's a few guys. They're not all that smart, but they will be loyal. And then here's a couple of guys that are really, really good psionic abilities, but they're kind of not sure about them. Blackmail those guys. And the two guys over here, not a problem. And so, you know, you don't get become a three, two or three or four star general because you're a moron. You know, I've been told that, you know, by a military person last night, he said, the colonels are idiots. They just do what, you know, all the legwork for the generals. And in the deep state, it's the same way. This military system, this ranking elite, you know, from four-star general down to the private soldier. I mean, it is a rigid, and supposedly it comes from out there. Because we've learned all our military, our war. I'm a military historian, I can tell you. It's just, they in history books, they lie about everything, but not about the wars. The, it goes from war to war to war, and psychopathic king and queen to the next. And you know, It's the same thing. They want you to know the military history. Now that's, you, I have to be careful with my words because I am very supportive of 90% of our U.S. military because they're not in that 10%. These unconstitutional, unethical, uh, psychopathic, you know, unacknowledged programs that are black, you know, and all that stuff. Those are the people that are connected with it. They are part of the deep state command structure. This is all very highly structured. You go to a corporation, there's a CEO, there's a ton of vice presidents, president, you know, it is all a command and control structure. And so that's what it is. I've experienced all my life, you know, school, you're part of a caste system. I mean, look at the caste systems everywhere. I mean, the military is a caste system. You know, a private soldier doesn't have access to a Gulfstream jet like a four-star general does. No way. And so, you know, are the elite using black triangle craft? I'm sure they are, you know, for their own purposes. You know, and then taxpayers have paid billions for them, more, trillions. So, I mean, this whole deep state thing isn't that hard to figure out if you use the military command and control structure. That makes sense, John. And, you know, before your dad died, five-term senator from Virginia... John Warner III, um, he said to you, you've, you've had a chance to observe life. You've had a chance to gain understanding. He told you the last few years of his life that he wanted you to use, use it, speak up, do something with it. Uh, you have been writing. You've now written this new 
book, which, as you say, can be challenging, very challenging for people to read, to have to look at the darker side of humanity. And, and I would say the humanity in all of us. Each one of us has some of these potentials, even if it's on a minute scale. We have to start looking at it within ourselves before we can start really trying to transform the whole good to look at ourselves in our own little if you want to call them reptilian uh, traits <laughs> whether it be simple judgment uh, separation uh, hatred or so forth we need to we need to look at some of these darker human traits um, I think you know it's, start it's, looking interesting. At it's interesting because you were talking about finding the humanity in all this medicine. yes well my book does that's the purpose of the book. My, my team of characters, they, they go through some horrible uh, wartime experiences. But when they go on their little adventure, you know, it has to do with, you know, German anti-gravity and all this stuff. And there's a lot of satire in the book because I, I want the narrative to move along. And if we don't laugh at the, at the absolute horrible absurdity of all this, everyone will go mad. And so they have, my team leader says, look, we got to do hermetic law because, you know, we're going to go deal with the Vril Society and the Tula Society and the Ananerbe archaeologists. And we've got to understand all this stuff or it's not going to make sense because we, it's all about the balance point and finding balance in everything in the universe. And so they have to go through that. And there is, the book becomes more and more humane as it goes along especially with the German character, there's one SS character in there and he loses his, his training and his ethos in the SS and he becomes humane to the point where, you know, he falls in love with one of my characters, you know, who's British, you know, and so it, the book has a lot about, I, I say it in the foreword, it's a lot about love, the vibration of love, love of uh, family, love of, uh, you know, country, love of self, uh, love of others, and, you know, the entire vibration of it all. And so it's important that the book is grim when it starts out, but it becomes more humane as we go along because within this whole mess we're in, you know, the, basically most of the human race is just, we're beings of, of kindness and generosity, understanding, and love. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's interesting story. You know, someone asked me, you know, uh, you know, they, a foreign person asked me, you know, how can you be you Americans be so brutal? And yet, you know, like in Vietnam, we burn down a whole village and kill everyone. And then we, we rebuild it with like soft ice cream. And, you know, same thing we did in Germany and Japan is it's, you know, some of that is a political agenda. However, you know, I've talked to a lot of wounded veterans that come to my farm and my wife and I talked to them and they said, you know, after a battle when everyone's it's over and everyone's wounded and bleeding, it's like, it doesn't matter if they're the enemy or there are guys, we treat everyone with respect. You know, it is something that switches in our brains, that reptilian brain, you know, attack, kill, you know, destroy, conquer, create an empire. And then it's like, Oh, we better bandage everyone up and feed them soup and we'll rebuild that church we bombed. And, you know, don't worry. There's American soft ice cream. And it's like, what is going on? It's because I think personal, this ET command structure, this regressive group that's been in charge for 
12,000 years, maybe a little more than Sumeria. <laughs> but um, they're like, oh, we get these human, 12-strand human DNA human beings, take them by the scruff and make them fight. And sure enough, we've made really good soldiers. But then after the battle, <laughs> we soften and everyone has a drink and people exchange, you know, in World War I, they started to play soccer and exchange hats and have a drink. You know, they, they said, oh, war's over. And everyone got out of the trenches and were shaking hands and drinking beer. It's our duality. They, the ETs, you know, the regressive, they must be going, oh, these idiot humans, we can't make them into psychopaths, you know, unless we inject them with some you know, AI, nanite solution or something and then there's still a problem because you it's like it's like taking a, um, a flower power vw bug and putting on a racetrack against full-on race cards it's like it wasn't designed to do battle against you know you know really fast cards it's a love bug yeah so that's what i think is that's what i try to illustrate in my book it, it's this you know the darkness you know I wrote a funny meme today, I'll send it to you. And it's like, good luck, you know, you can keep trying and doing this and wars and everything, but we're not gonna change. We're, everyone's waking up, everyone's becoming more loving and, and accepting of other people. I've seen it happen over my lifetime, you have too. Yes, you know? oh, absolutely, and I think that is our nature. And interesting, these people with these these messages, these kind of reptilian visions that they're going into, uh, they're all pretty much in agreement. In the end, it's not their world. It's not their planet. It's ours, and our own nature will predominate in the end. And I, I yeah. happen to believe that. I do too. However, uh, your followers should understand something that I've come to understand, and that is in our galaxy alone, and according to many people, many sources, there are thousands and tens of thousands of reptilian races. There are said to be some that live under the earth with us that are just hanging out and peaceful. Yes, I have. It's the minority of, of everything. You know, you can be, you know, the carrot people and the squash people, but there'll always be that, you know, that eggplant guy, you know, the, the minority who are regressive. But, you know, they can't be the light without the dark and yin and yang. I mean, we wouldn't, know what the light or positivity is without them showing us you know uh you know no one knew the depths the utter depths of depravity and horror until world war ii and the nazi death camps and what they did to people and experiments and children and everything I mean, and you know say what you want about general Patton and eisenhower they brought in the U.S. Army cameramen said, film this and bring the townspeople in so they won't forget. Right. And people don't know this history. You know, they, they know a little bit about the war and everything, but it's like, you need to understand, you know, everyone comes to me and says, oh, Patton was a psychopath. And I'm like, shit. You know, I mean, he and Henry Ford publicly stated they were into reincarnation, you know, and that's where they get their genius from. That's right. So, you know, Patton's an interesting character because he knew he had to go 110% against the Germans all the time or he would lose. And the other generals, you know, they'd accelerate and then they would retreat and regroup and sort of back and forth. No way. He knew, and that's why the German high command only feared Patton. Yeah. No one else. 
Now, a German told me that in Germany. He was a high-ranking officer in World War II. He was in his 90s. I was researching my first book. And he said, oh, we weren't afraid of anyone. Except Pat. Yeah, except for Pat. Because he was the mad dog. Right. The one that got it done. Because Patton knew the truth of the world and the universe. And he knew that death was an illusion. Yeah. So, yes, he had high casualties. He cared for every one of those boys that was lost. You know, but he knew they were reincarnated. Right. So that no one dies. But he knew, you know, the World War II was a proxy war, light and dark. Everyone had skin in the game, E.T., human alike. And so that's what wars are. And we've been fighting these wars for the longest time. You know, Atlantis was at war with the Sons of Belial and, and all that. So it's it's not just, you know, you can, there's no easy answer to any of this. It's very complicated. And you got to have to piece it all together. Otherwise, it just sounds like gobbledygook and conspiracy junk. I agree with you. you the big picture. I agree with you. And I think you, uh, first of all, I think you've done a lovely job today, a really important job today of helping us to understand the nature of how the people that you've witnessed and you know, like you said, a couple hundred people in these families here and there, um, how they actually function, how the power structures function, what you know from a military point of view all the way up to the ET species. I think you did a really beautiful job in sharing that with us, and I'm sure you're going to get a lot of comment from people, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in looking into how you're explaining it in your nearest book. And you also have a little Anton, the book you showed us at the beginning. So I just want to say, um, I would like to continue the conversation at another time after I've read the book. And um, until then, I really appreciate that you've kind of laid it out there for us in such a direct manner. And that's what I really like about you and was expecting. You're most welcome. So we will speak again at another time. And uh, thank you, my friend. I, I am it's nice to hear it from a horse's mouth. Well, my dad would say more like a horse's ass. <laughs> okay. Um, or the horse's ass. <laughs> I love it. His nickname for me was prick. So <laughs> oh, there you I go. called him the old man. He called me prick. Well, he told you to speak up and you, you are now. So again, thank you, John. Really appreciate it. And good luck with the book when it comes out. Well, thank you very much. Again, everybody, uh, it's been, to me, an absolute delight to be able to hear a perspective from uh, John Warner that most of us have not had access to in the past. And uh, so his new book coming out, Lion, Tiger, Bear, okay? So you should be able to find it in the very near future. And if you're watching this at a later date, just go to Amazon and you'll find it there. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on ReginaMeredith.com. <laughs>